Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Colossians 1, 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning again. We are uh, continuing through our series in Colossians. Um, While John is out of town... I have the privilege to be able to take up the text for us as well. Um, So I'll not be advancing our way through the text, but rather um, providing a complementary approach to some of the things that he has preached. So don't hear me wrong. I am not trying to correct anything that has been preached or anything like that. Rather, God's word is so rich. And so it's a privilege to be able to take up and fill out in more understanding and more detail where John has led us as well. So the desire is to bring a complementary approach to Scripture, even as we are preaching from different directions. Um, The Scripture readings today, you'll see, have they encompassed a lot. And that's because our text here this morning encompasses a great deal as well. The calls that were given are rather deep ones. And so I think it's important to understand the bigger context that these calls fit within. Um, If you remember, this is an old book 
It's not actually a book, but it's a letter that we're looking at in Colossians. It's written by a man named Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, and who was determined to have Jesus' name be made known as far and as wide as he possibly could. So he was planting churches all across, especially Eastern Europe, and some of those churches were continuing to develop and to grow, and as part of the expression of their faith, they were then planting other churches. So the church in Colossians is actually kind of a, a daughter church of the church that Paul had planted. And so though he might not know all of them, he is still able to speak pastorally and relationally to them. And he's been a very intimate friend with the man who actually did plant the church and begin it. Um, the whole focus of the letter is, as uh, John pointed out so wonderfully for us, brings something that you don't always see in other places of Scripture, but a very important emphasis nonetheless. This is the, you cannot have Jesus plus letter. This is a church that was striving to stand on the gospel, but then add in some other requirements, some other understanding, some other behavior in order to make themselves acceptable to God. It was to take perhaps God's grace as kind of the entryway in, but then to grow from that with their performance or their understanding or their behavior. And I hope we all know that we absolutely cannot fall into that trap because I hope we all have an understanding that that's often what our hearts tend to do and the directions that they would lead us. And so in order to lay the foundation for the sufficiency and the preeminence of Jesus in Chapter, in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1, Paul prays for the faith and the behavior of his people, of the Colossians, that it would fall in line with the beauty of what God has provided for them in Jesus Christ. And then in the following verses, verses, um, let's see, yeah, 15 through 23, he builds up this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. In this poetic arc, which you can go down this wonderfully beautiful rabbit hole of all of what Paul is doing as he's crafting this section, even grammatically and through current understandings of um, contemporary poetry, and it's, it's amazing as he starts wide with the God of all creation and then narrows down further and further to Jesus Christ as the person and what he has done for us individually. But today, we're going to kind of slow down and back it up an inch and consider the implications of what Paul has laid out for us here, especially in the first part of the chapter in this prayer. We're going to be looking at verses 10 and following, where Paul says that he has done all these things for us, that Jesus has done these things for us, and Paul's prayer has continued for us asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of the will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And this call of the text is a very large one. It's a really simple thing to say, but such a huge burden to lay upon us, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So here you also have to understand when he's saying walk, he's drawing on um, a word, it's not one that we often use to summarize all of life and experiences and behavior, um, but especially in <clears throat> the Hebrew 
culture within the Greek culture, this idea of walking out what you believe is something that had deep connections throughout the whole rest of Scripture. This is like one of those hyperlink words that draws the the knowing reader to understand so many sections of the Old Testament, so much of what the prophets have called the people to do to reform their behavior, so much of what God's design was for his people originally to fulfill all of his mission in this life, in this world. So when Paul says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, he is taking this huge truckload of meaning and summarizing it in these very simple and small words. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. <clears throat> and I want to consider it because, well, because Paul says it. It's one of these things that if, if we didn't need it, then he probably wouldn't be saying it. He's, he, the natural gravity of our hearts is to actually have, instead of, oh, well, this is what I believe is true, and so therefore I will then naturally do these things, but to kind of go, oh, well, this is what I believe to be true, but I'm going to continue living as I typically do. Or we can feel like there's this divide between our internal profession and, well, but that kind of stays here on Sunday morning and uh, perhaps I just live this way when I'm with my family or I live in this other manner when I'm with my friends or, well, that has to kind of stay over here because here in the work sphere, in my vocation, we kind of have to do things just a little differently because that's not how it works over here. And Paul rather is saying that his prayer for the Colossians is not that they would have these divided lives, but rather that what they believe to be true would settle down into the core of who they are so that it would become their natural way of doing things. So that it would begin to feel awkward and like a, an uncomfortable divide when they behave themselves in ways that are counter to what they say they believe. To put it more directly, we might believe one way, but whether by naivety, immaturity, or even clear choice, we often act another. God's response to our problem in this is the glorious Jesus that we have in verses 15 through 23. He, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion, dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so even here in these verses, you feel this tension. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of this one, this one who has done all of these things. What would it mean to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ?
Well, the truth is, we can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. It's a hard reality. How many of you, as we were reading um, Ezekiel 36, were struggling a little bit? Uh, can I just tell you, I, I lined this all up. You know, I'm up here right now. Um, and I was reading it as it was being read to us, and I was thinking, ooh, this is hard. But brothers and sisters, this is the tension that we are called to feel. The glories of who Jesus Christ is. And the lengths to which we fall short of it. And God is not surprised that we fall short of it. He's very keenly aware of it. And it's actually because of the ways that we fall short of it that he is then determined to enter in in the person of Jesus to show even here, even in the darkest of places, even in the polluted hearts of my people, I will shine my light so brightly that I can bring redemption to the whole of the world that my goodness will not be stopped. The Apostle John writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what God's response to our our problem is. Our division, our dividedness, is the person of Jesus Christ, who enters in to become one of us, who lives this beautiful reality out so much that in him, he covers over and removes all the way that we fall short. And then he credits us with all the goodness of his fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So that we might stand then as heirs of all of his goodness and all of the promises that all of scripture has laid out before us. Covering our failures and crediting us with his goodness. So our call from this text then is this mighty and challenging call again from verse 10. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. But even as we begin a sermon that's talking on, all right, well, what does it look like to do this? I want to pause this before we get too far. Because it is so foundationally important, and it's something that we, and honestly, the church, get so wrong. And to be completely honest, sometimes in my own behavior, Oftentimes in my own behavior and my own thinking and believing, I get wrong again. I start to trip on this and start to flip it around that these are the things that I have to do in order to then please God. Uh, In Covenant Seminary and in so many good theologians, you hear this talked about in terms of the imperative and the indicative. We have both the imperative of, or I'm sorry, the indicative of what is true and the imperative of what to do. Because if we come to Scripture with only this idea of what is true, and here I am just to recite to you facts, and if you just discern these facts, then everything is just going to click into place, well, then I have done you a great disservice, and I have not honored what Scripture actually carries within it. But then if I come to you only with with how you are to live it out, and these instructions of who you are to be, and do this, and do this, and do this, and well, don't do that, and to boycott this group, and to stay away from these things, because they're clearly evil, um, and this and that and the other thing, Well, I've also left you impoverished from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Scripture, we have these two things brought together. Here is what is true, God's love for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And here is how you are then called to embody it and to live it out. Why? Well, 
because God has embodied it for you in Jesus Christ. And so then you are able to carry it out because Jesus Christ is still at work in you and he is carrying it out. And so therefore, you can then see all the more clearly what Jesus has done. And so then, therefore, the person of Jesus gets bigger and more clearly understood even as our own sinfulness and our own need gets more clearly understood and gets bigger and bigger. And there we have this tension and there we have the mission of God as we read so clearly worded to Abraham that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you are going to be this conduit of my blessing to the whole world, bringing in those who are lost and reconciling to me those who have been far off. And this is what we have before us. So what does this mean? How do we engage this work that Jesus is doing in us? Well, fortunately, and in classic Presbyterian style, um, Paul gives us three ways <laughs> that this plays out. It's reflected even in just the grammar of the text. We have this, so walk in a manner, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, colon. And then he lists us three general categories. So that's what we're going to work through. Um, first, in verse, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And here again, we have these two things brought together into one. Bearing fruit and increasing in knowledge. When we talk about increasing in knowledge, what we're talking about is this experiential understanding of who Jesus Christ is. It's not just a building up the library of our brains, so that fuels it and that participates in it. But rather it is a deepening and ever deepening understanding of who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing right now in and through his church in the world. Jesus talks about this very clearly to the disciples in John chapter 15, when we have the sections that talk so wonderfully about what it means to abide in him. He says to us, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And down in verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this continues on more richly and beautiful, but if you skip down to verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified. And this is the language that Paul is echoing in our text. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There is this idea of our knowledge of God certainly extends to building up an understanding of Scripture and of theology, but that is not the end. The end of that Scripture and theology is that we might know the person of Jesus Christ himself so that we might be rooted and grounded in his love, as Paul says elsewhere. And so that that might be the core of who we are and how we behave and how we operate. Now this flows on in very powerful ways. If you look in the book of 1 John, 
this same disciple then pours out what this means in some very challenging ways, that this knowledge is not only to be a head knowledge, but it is to be a knowledge embodied. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Our love is to be a love embodied. And so when we look at the fruit here, when he says bearing fruit in good works and increasing in the knowledge of God, what he's talking about is a life that bears the evidence of a clear understanding of who Jesus is and a clear alignment with his character and how we do all that we do. There's the famous writer Annie Dillard who made the astute observation that how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And if we are called to have lives that are marked by this love of God, by this abiding in his mission and his care, then our days must be marked in similar ways. And Jesus anchors this all the more down when he finishes his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And he issues these words that should bring rightfully to us a bit of holy fear. Not a fear that pushes us away from him, and his love, but a fear that draws us all the closer to know exactly who he is and what he would be about. Jesus, preaching to the people of God at the time, says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And if that weren't enough, he continues on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When Paul is praying that fruit would be evident in their lives, this is not an add-on, oh great, I'm so glad you understand the gospel. And if you've got some spare time, maybe on the weekends, maybe in the group that already understands us and does these things too, well then why don't you go bear some fruit? That would be a good thing, right? Why not? Well, he's saying, because of who Jesus Christ is, you are then freed to tap back into the vine from which you have been cut off by sin so that your lives might be then marked by the very goodness of the Creator God who set all these things in motion and who is living in such a way as to actively challenge evil and to actively build beauty and glory and love so that even your lives might be marked by the same fruit of the Messiah whom God sent into the darkness so that you might then bear the same light in yourself that He has brought you by Jesus Christ that your lives might bear fruit in every good work. 
increasing in the knowledge of God. As we heed these sober warnings and this deep call, um, we stand on this double holiday weekend. It's Father's Day. That is a right and beautiful thing, and we'll look at that um, a little bit further. But we also stand looking to tomorrow, which is Juneteenth. Um, and if you're not particularly aware of what goes into this holiday, as I myself have not been over the years, but only as it became nationally instituted, and then I had to do a little research and understand more of what I've been missing out on. Um, as you might know, this dates back to the Civil War. Um, when President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in January of 1863. The war continued to rage on for over two years, only ending in the spring of 1865. But then even after that, once the war was over, many of the southern states continued to do their best to maintain slavery. They just didn't talk about it. And especially... Further out in Texas, it was enough insulated from the Union armies that it could kind of just do what it wanted because the strength of the winning army was so far away. And so they did. They continued to buy and to sell and to trade and to oppress people that had been enslaved from Africa. And it wasn't until... This date, June 19th, well, tomorrow's date, in 1865, that General Gordon Granger issued the General Order Number 3, which said, because of what is true in our nation, you must now follow that rule. And he didn't just issue that and staple it up on all the, the lampposts, but he walked into town himself and brought the Union Army with him to back it up. And it was then that the actual enforcement of slavery being um, made illegal got pushed into the actual lives and character and behavior of the state of Texas, Galveston in particular. And so then that became the day that those who had been enslaved and now beautifully, rightly, the rest of the population as well can look back and as we recognize so many beautiful things in our history, we can also look back and recognize the scars and the evil within our history as well and say, yeah, that was there and praise God, we have been working so hard to undo it. And we have the privilege of standing with those who have been oppressed and lamenting the oppression that happened. And we have the ability to stand with those and including all those who had been oppressed now in freedom and say, and never again and even chase down the last vestiges that we might find of the echoes of that in our society here and now today. Now, if we can take these warnings within our own culture and society so seriously and recognizing that perhaps even an army was needed to enforce what was true upon those who would claim to be following along within what was true, can we not also see the ways that our own hearts, when we have the beautiful message that has been proclaimed mercifully to us in Jesus Christ might also need to bring our lives into line with that behavior as well. To be laying down our rights and privileges that we would accumulate and accomplish for ourselves and instead rest upon the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Because as 1 John so beautifully pulls out, and even we might heighten this with James, that faith without works is dead. That's not meaning that our faith needs works, but it means that if we claim to have a faith and no works ever come to fruition, if we live a life that claims to follow Jesus Christ, but then our behavior and our relationships never actually demonstrate or exhibit that, well, then we're tied into something else entirely. Um, Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book, True Spirituality, But when I accept Christ as my Savior, I also come into a new relationship with God the Son. He is at once my vine and my bridegroom. Now this raises a question. If I, as a branch and as a bride, am not bearing fruit, or am not bearing forth the fruit one would expect from him, well then, who is my vine and bridegroom? And what is going on in my life? So when Paul calls us, to this life of bearing fruit. He's calling us to a deep, personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ and into a life that exhibits the truth of who he is and what he has done. The applications that we might draw from this are to abide deeply in Jesus. Don't be satisfied with anything less and refuse to try to be satisfied with anything more, but fix your eyes solely on him who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who walks us forward into all the goodness of what he has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. Or I'm sorry, as Jesus Christ, the one whom Paul exalts so beautifully in the verses which John preached to us last week that follow these. And then also, brothers and sisters, we must order our days not as an obligation, but as the fruit of what it means to have been loved by the Savior who has set us free and who then ties us back into the vine which we have been separated from. And do we do this ourselves? I hope you can see clearly, we do not. And Paul emphasizes this all the more with his second point from verse 11. And I'll read these together because they stand so interdependent. Paul's prayer for us is that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And it's so important to note here when he says to his power, what, what he's not saying is so that we then become super Christians because now we are filled with the gospel and we can do all things. No, but, but rather, being filled with his power means that we become super fans of who he is and of what he has done. That we are not saying, look how mighty I am because of what he has done, and look at these institutions that I can build, and look at this excellent curriculum that I have accomplished. But rather, we stand upon his mercy, and we stand in the midst of his grace, and we say, look at who Jesus is. Look at the strength that he had to meet me where I am. I would be a rebel on my own. I had no interest in this. It is not because of anything good in me that God is working these things out, but for the goodness of his name. Look at his goodness manifest in the person of Jesus. And again, that's why we have this beautiful section that John preached to us last week that follows these verses that we're right here. Paul doesn't leave us to think we can muscle through this. Rather, he immediately points us to this glorious provision that God has become for us in Jesus Christ so that we might stand in his goodness. 
so that we might be built up in his love. And then we ourselves might be strengthened in it so that we then ourselves have this beautiful opportunity to reflect his light into the world around us as the city on a hill, as the light that would pierce the hearts of those who live in darkness. Um, this is kind of a silly and much lesser illustration. <laughs> um, when I was in college, I was a big fan of this band, Blue. They were really clever, spelled it B-L-E-U, the other way around, like the cheese. Um, and I really liked this guy. He had this hard edge and a little bit of blues and kind of this he's a really creative musician. Uh, he did not catch on. None of you have heard who he is, not even those of you who are my age, except the Hartmans, maybe. Chris and I used to talk about that a lot. Um, so Chris, if you're here or if you're listening, I see you. Uh, but there was one time I went to go see Blue in the 930 Club downtown, and he had then immediately issued this call for the next shows, and so I signed up to be a part of it, where part of his music involved um, some choral elements. And so his design was, as he would be on tour, he would invite anyone who knew his music to come and show up an hour earlier. And he would ask that you would listen to his songs all the time, that you would practice them, that you'd show up, and then at the right moment, you'd get to go up on stage. And then you'd join all these other strangers whom you don't know. And then you'd participate together in this song that's building up this musician who called himself Blue. And I want you to see in this, is anyone in the choir the focus of that? No. Is anyone in the choir getting any credit for this? No, absolutely not. Uh, who's everybody's focus on who's in the crowd? They're not looking at the choir. They're looking at the dude backed up by the choir. But for those of us who wanted to be a part of it, were we going to give our time? Absolutely. Were we going to give our focus? Yes. Were we going to then spend money to come to be at this concert so that we could then participate in this thing that we had just spent money to watch, weirdly? Yes. But do you see this? This is the difference between being the superhero who's trying to force his way up onto stage and take the mic and being a super fan who says, I want to be a part of that. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my energy. I'm going to pay money to come and be there. And then I'm going to stand in the back and in the backstage, and I'm not even going to be in the limelight, but I'm going to make this happen. And that's what we are called to in Christ. Because even if you, I'm stretching this analogy too far, but whose strength is being built up in that? Well, I'm, I'm, I get to be a part of the music, but whose music is it? It's this random guy with big, awesome mutton chop sideburns. You should check him out. It's still good music. I'll stand by it. Um, but in the same way in Jesus Christ, this is our call. You are not strengthened for your own power. You are not strengthened with your power. You are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And so I'd take a moment for that, for all endurance and patience with joy, because why do we need this might? Excuse me. Because this is a hard life, and this is a hard world, and people live radically against God's designs. And they would do what is right in their own eyes, and they don't care what they were made for. They don't even necessarily believe that they were made for anything. And so what is our call as those who have been brought in by this glorious Savior? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of Him? 
Well, that we live with all patience and endurance. Because the presumption here is where are we going to be? Withdrawing into our own tiny enclaves where we only hear people who sound like us and only talk to people who believe like us and only engage with people who look like us? No, but that we would be out. That we would be in the world sent by Jesus as God sent Jesus into the world. That we would be his ambassadors, God making his appeal through us so that we would stand on Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, but that we would be bringing clearly the beauty of Jesus into those darkest places. Because in him was the word, and the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's who we are called to be as well. So the call from this, being strengthened with power, is again to abide in him, to become a super fan. Man, are you reading his word? Are you looking into it? Don't hear this as the guilty, well, you really should be. And let me give you this quick new way that you can read every day, guaranteed. No, I'm, I'm just saying... Are you cultivating your love? Are you coming to him in prayer? Are you sharing your joys and your weaknesses? Are you lamenting the beauty or the brokenness that you see around you? Are you celebrating the beauty of when milestones of his goodness are accomplished? Abide in him, follow him, be built up by his goodness. And finally, from verse 12, and again, I'll, I'll read this section through. Paul's prayer for us is that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So this is Father's Day. Whenever we celebrate days that celebrate parents, I want to pause because I know what it is to have pregnancies that have not come to fruition. And I had years where I was longing to be married and was not. So I, I know those pains as well. But regardless of where we are coming from or who we are coming from, whether our fathers have been wonderful examples as some of us are privileged to have had, or whether our fathers have been counterexamples, we have here the Father who has provided for us, Jesus Christ. And he then, in Jesus Christ, provides for us the opportunity to be shaped and remolded so that we are not defined by our sin, but we are defined in the core of our identity instead by the love of God manifest in Jesus Christ, being brought into life by the Holy Spirit at work within us. And so when we stop and we say giving thanks to the Father, did you catch all of what we were looking at in Ezekiel? Our Father said, listen, it is not because of you. But don't hear that as if him saying, you jerks, and I have want nothing to do with you. But did you look at what he's talking about? He says instead, look at these beautiful things that he brings up. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. Because though we have not earned it, what does he do? 
He gives them all the benefits of as if they had earned it. And he loves them as if they had walked in his goodness and beauty all the days of their lives. And as if they and their fathers and their forefathers before them had not rebelled and committed atrocities. So brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, this is the God whom we serve. This is the one whom we get to call our Father. Is the one who would not hold his own son as too precious but said, I will give him and I will gain you and that will be a worthwhile and beautiful trade. Done. No hesitation. So that when we are called to walk in a way that is worthy of Jesus Christ, we are walking in a way that celebrates the work of the Father as well. So we don't have to hide from our darkness, but rather we can stand on his love and look it square in the eyes and say, even so, Here I stand in the love of my Father. And we can look at those things that we struggle with and the sins that so easily entangle, and we can say, even so, I am defined by the love of my Father in Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit is at work in me, and so I can stand. And not only stand, but because of this glorious Savior that we have, we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, being strengthened by Jesus, and giving thanks to the Father. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness and for your love. We confess that we are completely unworthy of it ourselves. But even as we stand here on this Father's Day, Lord, let those of us who have the privilege of striving to fill this role of father, be humbled by the love that we see that you exhibit for us and the ways that you express your fatherhood to us, not lording it over, but making yourself one of us, becoming nothing for our sake, submitting even to death so that you might then raise up a multitude of brothers in Jesus Christ so that we might then be re-enlivened by your spirit, and so that we might now stand as branches not disconnected from the vine, but looking back at the vine and saying, thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. You are glorious. And Father, even here as we stand, equip us to walk in a way that is worthy, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of freedom, because of what you have purchased for us in Jesus Christ and what you have promised to be accomplishing in us through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as your children, lead us to walk beautifully by your mercy in a way that is worthy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray these things, in his name alone. Amen. Amen.